Well, good morning, everyone. I'm not the usual tall, bald guy up here. Um, I can say that. I've known Kevin a long time. That's how he refers to himself usually. Uh, so yeah, Kevin and Kevin and his family are on vacation, so you got to hear the youth pastor this morning. I'm surprised all of you showed up. Um, but I hope it's a, just a little tiny passage. It's been one of my favorites for a long time. So I want to ask you a little bit of a question. What's, what's the similarity in these jobs? These jobs. A custodian, a doctor, a stay-at-home mom, public school teacher, Sunday school teacher, truck driver, and snowplow driver. Anything similar in all those jobs? That's a wide variation, right? You're like, well, the plow driver probably doesn't teach people. Uh, what do you think? Um, in my mind, those are all jobs that have very little supervision. Very little supervision. I mean, I mean, uh, you think about a teacher, it's, it's, it's one adult with 30, 30 students, right? I mean, that's, a, that's difficult. Snowplow driver, who the heck knows if he's doing his job, right? I mean, everybody's in their house. You hope that there's someone out there plowing the roads. You're not sure. You trust that eventually he's going to drive by your house. Uh, truck driver, a doctor. I just thought about what, I mean, what a job where you have that much privacy, where you just go in, shut the door. It's just two, you, and, you and the person. I mean, the guy could give you crazy advice and yet walk outside and say that he told you something sane. Who's going to know the difference? Does it matter how these people do their jobs? Doesn't matter how these people do their jobs. What what traits would you look for in someone like a job, someone with a job like that? Someone with a job where not going to be much interaction. There's no real somebody checking in on them every time. What would you look like? What, what who would what would you what kind of traits would you want in that kind of person? Um, and then I'll ask you this question: Does how I do my service to God matter? Does how I do my service to God matter? Uh, even when it's not one of those important jobs, even when no one's watching, even when it doesn't seem to matter very much, what's going on? Is it okay if I slack off? Is it okay if I sleep on the job? Is it okay if I get it done when I have time? Does my attitude matter when no one when no one knows the difference? No one knows the difference. And then another question, should I try to do the more important jobs? Wouldn't God like that a little bit more? Shouldn't I try to move up in the world, right, to one of those jobs where everybody sees, where everyone knows? Um, This morning, I want us to see three traits of God's servants, three traits of God's servants that we might be encouraged to serve more. So open in your Bibles to Psalm 134, the book of Psalms, chapter 134. It's a little tiny, tiny psalm. Towards the end of the book, Psalms chapter 134, and I'm going to read it for us and we'll pray. So we want to see three traits of God's servants. Does it matter how we serve the Lord? Does it matter if we're the kind of people he wants us to be and have the attitudes he wants to have, even if nobody sees? All right, look, look down with me. Psalm 134, just real short, says this. Psalm 134, starting verse 1. A song of ascent. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. You know, bow with me. We'll pray that God would bless our time. God, we come to you this day asking your favor, not because we're awesome, but because you are. 
Uh, God, would you teach your people this morning? God, use me. I'm just a pathetic little spokesman. And yet, uh, God, would you use me to, to preach this passage this morning? God, give us receptive hearts. Uh, make us humble and make us take a realistic look at our attitudes. Uh, may your word go forth. Teach us by your spirit, I pray. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about the, the context of this. If you look down at Psalm 134, it starts with a little, what they call a superscription. That's the, the little little words at the top, a song of ascent. Just so you know, that's not the same as the bold titles, all right? The bold titles, some English interpreter put in there for you. Uh, the words, a song of ascent, the Lord put in there for you. Uh, it's in the actual Hebrew manuscript. And one of the hard things is, though, we have no idea what it means. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a difficult thing, is a lot of these times when there's things above a psalm, we don't know. A lot of them are musical terms. A lot of them, a lot of them are, we think are the titles of songs or tunes that they would have sung these. I mean, this was, these were things that the Israelites actually sang, that, that, would, that they, they would have known the music to. They would have known the tune, that as, as they were walking throughout their day, they would have been humming these things. And so a song of ascent, uh, there's 15 of them. And this is the last one. And so you have from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, Psalm, Psalm, Psalms of ascent. And, and they think there's all sorts of theories. Uh, some people think it has to do with the pilgrimage, that as people were ascending up to Jerusalem, that these were the songs they sang. So three times a year, all of Israel was expected to come to Jerusalem to worship. And they're thinking these might have been the songs they sang as they went. Other people think... There were 15 steps in the temple. There were, there's different courts, different levels. And there's this one spot where there was 15 steps. And they know that the choir stood on those steps. And so sometimes they think, hey, maybe 15 steps, the choir's on the steps, songs of ascent. Maybe this is what's going on here. Uh, there's all sorts of things. I think it's probably best to look at them. We know that later they were used for the pilgrimage. Whether that's the original usage or not, we don't know. Uh, we know that later they were associated with that, that as people were coming to Jerusalem. That, so here's the deal. Um, I don't know when the last time any of you went to summer camp was, but hopefully you've been to a summer camp. If you haven't, maybe I, maybe you can tell me and we'll take you to help out sometime uh, just so you can get the idea of it. But here's the deal. Um, it's a big deal. And when Israel came up for these three times a year, it was a big deal in their hearts. For those that really loved the Lord, right? Think about it. Uh, you, you know that your God's presence resides on a hill hundreds of miles away. And three times a year, he calls you to come and to meet with them there. And you come with, with most of your nation. And as you go, as you come from all these different directions, everybody's singing these songs as they come. This is the last one. Uh, meaning, these were meaningful to people. They would have known them. Uh, they would have known, they, they would, it would have meant something to them to sing them. So it's just a little tiny three verses to us, not so to them. Look down though, verse one. I want to tell you the first trait First trait of those, for those of you that take notes, which I hope you take notes, uh, the first trait of those is uh, serving God is that they will be willing servants. They will be willing servants. All right, look down at verse 1. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Now that's easy. Some of us go, oh, that's easy. That means I've got to say some good stuff about God. I can do that. I can, I can come. I mean, hopefully we just bless the Lord. We had words up here. We all sang them. Uh, if I were to ask you to bless the Lord and get stand up, some of you could say some things right now. You'd give testimony of what the Lord's done in your life. But I want to ask you, do you think that's really all the psalmist is saying is say some words? Come bless the Lord. That word come, it's meant to shake people's attention. It's meant to say, hey, wake up, wake up. 
They might have really needed to wake up as we look later in the passage, but wake up. And the idea is that our hearts would be overflowing with this, that we would willingly come and bless the Lord, that, that the psalmist would say, oh, uh, that from the overflow of my heart, I desire to do this. I desire to do this, to recognize his goodness, to tell others, to praise God. Now, what can I really bless God with? Do you guys ever think about this? Um, this is kind of like when my three-year-old tries to help us clean the house. Think about that. How does that go? I mean, he really, 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 really wants to help. It's more likely that there's going to be a wake of destruction in his path, right? As he helps clean. And then sometimes our little nine-month-old likes to help fold the laundry. Meaning his mom folds it, puts it on the couch, and he likes to refold it and put it back in the basket, right? And then we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, so how can I really, how can I really serve, how can I really bless God? Is it that I'm going to have the most eloquent words he's ever heard? Is it that I'm going to think of the one worship song that no one's ever thought of? It means from the heart, folks. That's what I'm getting at here. <laughs> Is when he says, come bless the Lord, he's talking about our hearts. He's talking about wanting to bless the Lord. He's talking about a desire to willingly serve God, to, to put my heart into it. He's not just talking as if I would be commanded, bless the Lord right now. I can get my kid to do some stuff that way. Yell at him. Point my finger at him. Is that really what the psalmist is asking us to do? Is he just yelling at us saying, hey, you'd better bless the Lord. No, he's talking about being willing, being willing from the heart. Look down again. So come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Um, this is who we get to serve is the Lord God Almighty. You guys get this? The, Lord, the word Lord is used five times in three verses. It is who the psalm is about. Is that God is that God would mean something to us, that from our hearts we would desire this. We are servants to him, we belong to him, and he's the one that we serve. Look down, keep going. You servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. This is my favorite part of the psalm. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. This is like twenty four people. You know this? This is what they think. So there are some songs that are addressed to the whole nation. Millions of people. And this little psalm is addressed to 24 people. Now, these 24 people are not the most important people, right? Look down. So those who serve in the temple of the Lord by night. Let me tell you, there were 10 gates. They were closed at night. Temple was closed for business. And these 21 Levites, the, these aren't even priests, right? You guys, if you guys know how the Levitical system works, you got the tribe, you got the family of Aaron who actually gets to be priest. You have the rest of the tribe of Levi who are, they're just servants, I mean, literally, like, they tended the fires, they swept the floors, they, and even then, and some of them got to sing, and so the singers were even the important ones. And so you got, like, the high priest and his family, you got uh, the rest of the general priests, you got the singers, and the, the 21 people that watch in the temple at night are just, they're none of those things. They're the floor sweepers and the fire tenders, and their whole job is to stay awake. And make sure the temple's fine. They didn't have much to do. They couldn't even go into the place of the priests. Their whole job is to stay awake. Some of you can't even stay awake right now. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm just not to tell you that. They watched. They watched in the court of women. That was what it was called. Tradition said they could be beaten for falling asleep. Or that if the guy, uh, there was one overseer. Or that he could light their garments on fire if they went to sleep. Wouldn't that be fun? Fun way to wake up. 
Uh, so you go to sleep. So there's 21 little posts. They sit there. They're the lowest of the low in the temple service. There's nothing important about them. No one knew their names. No one particularly cared how they did their job. There might be maybe three priests guarding the inner temple. They made rounds at night kind of to check that everything was ready for the morning. But realistically, until the gates were open in the morning, there was nothing to do. They're doing an unimportant, thankless, boring job. And how does the psalmist call them to do it? He calls them to do it willingly from the heart. He calls them to do it willingly from the heart. An unimportant, thankless, boring job. And the psalmist says, Come, bless the Lord, all you who serve in the temple of the Lord by night. Can you relate to this? Some of you think you're important and you're not relating to this. That's a whole different problem. right? If you can't relate, let me give you some, some points to relate on. First off, this is a little sub-point, but first off, do you guys know that we are the Lord's workforce? There ain't nobody else on this planet but us. It's us. So every job that can be done, by the, can be done for the Lord on this planet is done by us. From the ones that we deem really, really important to the ones that nobody sees, we're the Lord's workforce, right? It says in uh, Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in whose name? The name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3.22, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, you, as working for the Lord. Even the unimportant jobs, even when my boss isn't looking, even when my family's not going to know the difference, even when no one's going to care, even when no, there's no difference to anybody around me, work at it as working for the Lord with all my heart, willingly. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for... Hello, is this thing on? Some of you aren't even awake right now. Do it all for what? For the glory of God. Hebrews 13 says that we are now the people offering sacrifices. Right? The people offering sacrifices in a temple in Jerusalem are not worshiping God right now. They're apostate. They don't know. They've rejected the Messiah. We're God's people. First Peter 2 says that we're God's priesthood now. And it's not just talking to the, to, the, to the pastors. You. You. I'm not the priest of this church. You. We are the priesthood of God. Everything that's going to be done on this planet for Him is going to be done through us. We're God's workforce. Secondly, in case you thought you were important, I want to tell you this. We're, we are all called to the night shift. We're all called to the night shift. So we're God's workforce, and guess what? We drew the night shift. I don't know of any job where that's a good thing, right? I can't think of one. Um, we all do the night shift. And I can tell you this in several ways. First off, Jesus tells us to do things like him. And what did he do? Well, he washed people's feet. This was the job of a slave. This was nobody, nobody praised or thanked the foot washer. It was gross and disgusting. Socks did not exist. Sandals existed only. Jesus says in John 13, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. I have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. That's the night shift. That's the low job. We, you might think you're important around here. I might get the idea that I'm important around here. I am. We are the night shift. 
We are called to do the unimportant, the things that no one else wants to do. That's us. And we can't expect everyone's going to thank us for it all the time. That's not the only way we're called to night shift. We're called to hard things. Jesus talks about suffering, serving, and slaving. That's what God's workforce is left on this planet for. To give the world an example of suffering, serving, and slaving. Uh, Jesus told us it's not going to be popular. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's not going to be convenient. And I don't know if you guys know this, but this whole world, the illustration that the Bible gives of this world is that it is nighttime. That even right now, in broad daylight, that we as believers, we walk around in the night. The, the, the whole world is given over to the, to the power of Satan, right? There's a sense in which he is the God of this age, First John says. There's a sense in which the world is going to try to overcome us, that the night is going to try to overtake us. In First Peter, it says that right now it's the night and we're waiting for the dawn. And so we can't think that this is going to be the great shift. We can't think that we're going to be the ones ministering in front in the daylight, right? The temple during the daytime was a beautiful, glittering, amazing, flashy place. I mean, fire and gold and ceremony and, and, and songs and instruments and all this stuff that would have happened by day. And here we have a psalm written to the people that get to sit there in the middle of the night. I mean, what are they going to compare how big their fire is with the guy down the way? Like, oh, my watch fire is really big compared to yours. We serve at night and the darkness will try to overcome us. And listen, sometimes, if we're honest, we serve at the night in our own hearts. That you will walk through dark times in this world. Right? There will be trials. There will be temptations. There will be doubts. There will be fears. There will be hard times. You may ask, how can God expect me to willingly serve Him while this is going on? Well, I'll tell you, it's because you're on the night shift. You're on the night shift. You are the workforce and it is the night shift. And that's what it is. And for us to expect it to be something more, expect to get praise and glory, expect to have it be easy. This college guy in our church, he just he graduated a little while ago. And I remember him, he, he's working a night shift job right now in Bakersfield. <laughs> I think it's like a three strikes you're out. And so he's on, he's on strike two already. And like, cause he's fought, his boss has caught him asleep twice. And so you can bet he's doing everything in his arsenal right now to stay awake. Okay, now listen to me. So do you serve willingly on the night shift in the Lord's workforce? Do you serve willingly in the night shift on the Lord's workforce? Um, Now listen, look at me real fast. This is not to be motivated by guilt. I do not say this to make you feel guilty. God does not need you, first off. (laughs) He wants you. Secondly, guilt will only motivate you for a time, and it's the exact opposite of willingness. You guys get that? For me to guilt you into something is the exact opposite of you being willing to do something. And so this is not a sermon saying, feel guilty. This is a sermon saying, we have the privilege to willingly bless the Lord on the night shift. And be encouraged that the Lord would give us such a privilege. So whether you feel like you're, maybe you don't do anything around here. First off, I'd tell you, hey, you're on the team, even if you're sleeping. (laughs) Secondly, I'd tell you, uh, we have the privilege to serve. We have the privilege to serve. And I hope you view it, I hope you want to do it willingly, right? Psalm 84.10, write this down if you're a note taker, but 
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. The doorkeeper, by the way, was just one step above the night shift. <laughs> right? Just one. I mean, he was the guy that got to stand by the doors. People, And I think he probably had to clean up the poop, too, of the animals that were being drugged into the temple. Right? He got to stand at the door, keep the door, and that was his big job. You know, we think doorkeeper. Oh, he's probably a guard. No, he was just a doorkeeper. Second, a warning before we get on to the second point. Serving God and working in this church will not earn you a relationship with God. Look me in the face. (laughs) Serving God and working in this church will not earn you a relationship with God. These Old Testament saints had a covenant faith-based relationship. If they were really God's servants at night in the temple, they were doing it based on faith in the covenant that God had given them. And for us, the same. The New Testament times, I have a relationship with Christ through the covenant he made in his blood. Right? That is all that saves me. Uh, I put my faith in the fact that Christ died for me, and trusting in him is the only way to get to heaven. Look at me. Not, not attending church. Not saying words. Not working for God. Not giving to God and not being a good person for God. Can I make that clear? None of those things. Some words you said when you were five. Nothing. Working. I've been in in this church for 40 years. You could still not know Jesus. You could still have your trust in yourself. You could still think that serving on the night shift gives you the brownie points you need with God to finally get into heaven. Not the case. (laughs) All right? We are willing servants, but it does not. That service in no way earns us a place in heaven. Jesus' blood has bought me a place in heaven. And that's the only way. And through trust in him. And if you sleep every day on the night, every, every shift, if you sleep every shift, the Lord is still gracious enough that he would save you through the blood of Christ. That's it. But that's not how he wants us to serve. He wants us to serve willingly, okay? So the second trait, you guys are like, man, this is only three verses and we're not, we're going to be late. All right? Second trait is that God wants his servants to be worshipful servants. All right? So first is that we would be willing servants. And the second is that we would be worshipful servants. Look down at verse 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Uh, For those of you that are tracking with me, does any of that sound familiar? He already told us to bless the Lord. Okay, he says, lift up your hands, which is pray, right? That basically means back in the day that meant that you would pray. Pray and bless the Lord. So why why say this again? What is he he talking about? Uh, What is worship, by the way? Worship is not the singing. Worship is not just lifting up my hands and praying. Worship is my everyday life. That throughout my life, that every shift, every time I have an opportunity to do something for the Lord, which, by the way, is always from how I live today to how I parent to how I am a husband to how I do my finances to how I eat, to how I, what, to how I think, to how, how I talk. Everything is an opportunity to serve my God. So he tells me I should do it to bless the Lord. They were to have thoughts. Of, so get this. You are sitting in the temple at night doing nothing except watching. And what does God call them to do? What kind of attitude with? Prayerful, worshipful, willing attitude. <laughs> That's incredible to me. What? What does the Lord care? 
Why does it matter? If I sit there and watch at my little booth in the huge temple, me and 20 other guys, and yet the psalmist commands them, calls them to say, while you're there, lift up your hands, pray, bless the Lord, no matter what you're doing. They could say, I'm just the night shift. Come back. If you want that worship stuff, come back during the day. <laughs> and some of us, we serve the Lord that way. We act, like it, we act like we can have a bad attitude while we're serving God. Well, it's just I'm just setting out the fellowship snacks. Don't bother me when we throw it down. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Whatever it is. Or we complain as we walk around here. Or we, and I, I, I didn't mean to pick on them there. I could pick on a lot of people, and I'm about to pick on myself. So give me time, okay? But think about it. Like we, it matters. Our attitude matters. It's not just that the preacher needs to have a worshipful attitude or it's Zach's job somehow to make us all worshipful. It's, my, it's from here. It's from my own heart that I would want to pray, that I would want to talk to the Lord, that I would want to serve Him, that, that whether anybody's seeing it or not, that whether it's closing a door that someone forgot to close or helping out the little children that no one's ever going to see, no one may, they may not thank you for it. I mean, do you know what the VBS helpers put up with? I mean, think of the Sunday school teachers. I mean, we go five minutes long and it's like there's a riot in the Sunday school rooms that they have to calm down, you know? And they're like, oh, I hope the sermon finished. I really want to be nice to these kids. But if they're doing it for the Lord out of a good attitude, beautiful. But if we're doing it not worshipfully, if we're not mindful of the fact that God's with us, so how much more for it, right? So here's him calling these temple servants to do it. And literally, God's presence on earth, the Ark of the Covenant was some yards away behind them in a building. And we go, oh, well, that would have been, that would change things. Whoa, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That should change everything, right? If the Holy Spirit lives inside, I don't need the Ark of the Covenant 100 yards behind me to change my attitude. I have the God of the universe living in me. I get to be with his people, the redeemed. We're going to spend all eternity together. Get used to it right now. Right? I get to serve, whether it's closing a door or vacuuming a floor or preaching the word of God here from the pulpit, smiling at somebody, shaking somebody's hand, inviting someone to church, taking someone to lunch, giving them a meal, looking for the outcasts of society and coming along them and saying, here, I'm on the night shift too. Come with me. Or sending the gospel all the way to Africa where realistically we think it's all glorious, but they got to do the same stuff we got to do here. <laughs> Willingly. My access to God is not bought with the blood of a bull or a goat. It's bought with the blood of Christ. I don't need the Holy of Holies behind me. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Because of my love for Christ, because I recognize the beauty of all this, that should make me worshipful. Now, let me tell you, this is the biggest struggle in the world for me. Ask the people that have to work with me when it's not a Sunday morning. Ask the people that have to work with me even on Sunday morning. Right? I am a pragmatic, pessimistic perfectionist by nature. Think about that combination for a second. Think about think about what my wife has to deal with. I mean, for goodness sake. My attitude goes towards getting things done how they need to be done right, which somehow always means how I want them done. Funny how that works for perfectionists. And all that 
means that I can walk through God without even thinking about him through a day. This is your pastor speaking. <laughs> if it's true of me, I mean, some of you guys are farther than me, and so I hope, but I bet it's, we all have a temptation to walk through our day without having a worshipful attitude, without really thinking about God in my job and God in my commute and God in my family and God in, in my all of my life and God in my smile and God in my sadness and God in my tears and God in my pain. So I don't try to tell you anything that's that easy for me either. Yeah, we can't get focused on who's doing it best or who's doing it right, right? These night watchmen, were, well, my floor looks a lot cleaner than your floor over there, all right? My watch fire is bigger than yours. Well, you fell asleep three times last week. I only fell asleep twice. And he lit your clothes on fire. That was funny, right? I mean, think, what? I mean, what? it's not a comparing thing. God calls each one of them individually to say, worship, lift up your hands. And bless the Lord, you who watch in the temple of the Lord by night. You who, watch, you who are on the night shift, lift up your hands and in your heart, be willing and be worshipful. Consider God, pray, think on Him. Think that what you're doing, even if it's sitting and watching, is for Him. For some of you older saints who I've loved and known, you guys have seen me grow up in this church, maybe you're starting to think, there's not much I can do around here anymore. If you, if you just sit and pray with a worshipful attitude and you smile at people as they come in and you love on them, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Um, that's okay. It's okay. We're all in the night shift, but we're all in it together. Okay? So instead of criticizing, caring about all this other stuff, Last, last point, look down at verse, or verse 3. Uh, the third point is, the final trait is that God's servants will be blessed servants. <laughs> the night shift gets the double reward. Okay, look down at what he says. Uh, verse 3, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now there's a little bit of controversy here. Some people think that it, this is the, the night shift blessing back, or this is like the high priest blessing the night. I don't know. I don't know who it is. But all I know is that God's people are being blessed in this verse and that the psalm is about the Lord and the night shift people, okay? And so I take great encouragement, right, that God's servant is, is returned, that those who are tired, those who are unimportant, those who have been faithful, that there is a blessing for them. May the Lord bless you. Now, do you think that's kind of on par with our blessing God? Now, if our blessing God is kind of like my two-year-old trying to help clean the house, my three-year-old tried to help clean the house. What do you think God's blessing us is like? One time, I had a rich uncle who took us on a shopping spree. I mean, it was crazy. I, it was unbelievable. He literally gave us like 15 minutes in Toys R Us and said, Go. I mean, like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, we couldn't just go through the aisles like this. Okay, but I mean, but I mean he said, Go, find what you want, bring it back here, and I'll pay for it. Some of you are like, do not tell my kids this. Do not. You are the youth pastor. This sermon must be destroyed after it's spoken. Do not tell my kids this. Um, this is what God does for us, though, right? I'm a little three-year-old trying to help him clean the house. And he is the maker of the whole world who gives us lines like, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. 
God has richly blessed us with every blessing in the spiritual places. God has poured his love into our hearts. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And then he says this, Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So here I am trying to keep my heart and my attitude willing and worshipful. And, and I want to, and I want us to want to. And yet the Lord says, my blessing is on my servants. <laughs> my blessing is on my servants. You bless me. I want you from the heart to bless me. But I want you to know that from the heart of the Lord, he blesses us. I mean, what? How does this work? How is this? This is so gracious. This is so incredible. This is so incredible. 